Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good morning to you on this Monday. Not a bad little weather forecast for us there today are indeed for the rest of the weekend because certainly at the weekend we had almost July-like temperatures on Saturday. I mean, it really felt like we were in the middle of, of the summer. And then on Sunday we woke up and we were reaching for warm winter, winter woolies and, and winter coats because it was very, very cold uh, indeed. They reckoned there was a 10 degree Celsius drop in the temperatures between the two days. Most areas got to 22 degrees on Saturday and it fell to between 10 and 12 degrees uh, yesterday. But uh, Met Aaron are saying that we've got a week of dry weather to look forward to. There will be good sunny spells only interrupted by the occasional shower. Uh, temperatures today certainly down on what they were on Saturday, 12, 13, could go to 14 degrees in some areas uh, today. But the bulk of the week is going to be dry with uh, sunny spells and the temperatures will climb back up into the high teens. I don't know if we're going to get into the low 20s, but certainly we'll get into the uh, high teens. And there was lots of evidence uh, over the weekend that uh, families were enjoying the warm weather even though the advice is that with everything that's going on and with the restrictions still in place people are saying plenty of opportunities this week to get out and and to enjoy your garden and maybe have barbecues in your garden and maybe go for walks but go for walks locally and just there's this sense really that there is a bit of complacency setting in and the front page of the Echo today are running with the story saying that the, the people of Cork are once again, we're all being remind, reminded that we need to comply with the restrictions relating to uh, COVID-19. I mean, we are still one full week away. This day next week will be the 18th of May, which will only put us into the phase one of the lifting of restrictions. And it was that wonderful weather over the weekend and on Saturday in particular. And it attracted large numbers of people out onto the streets and into parks and there was photos and videos emerging over the weekend on social media showing groups of people not adhering to social distancing measures. And the Echo Today are quoting the Fianna Fáil councillor Colm Kelleher who said the lock was packed over the weekend. He fears people are becoming complacent with the easing of the restrictions due to start this day next week and he says I think people are looking at the figures 
the overall health figures and saying, oh, they're not that bad. But he made the point, and it's a good point to make, that one person in ICU is a bad figure because at the end of the day, it is still a human being and how right Councillor Colm Kelleher is. So we just, let's not let complacency set in. But there are... People are right about looking at the figures and saying, you know, there's good news in the figures and it could have been much worse. But that's all down to the good work that we've all done. And it would be a real shame just to throw it all away as we sort of head into the final furlong, so to speak. An additional 10,000 people, they reckon, could have died from COVID-19 had the reproduction rate of the virus remained at the same rate it was at the beginning of uh, March. And these are uh, this has been revealed by the country's chief clinical officer. He was speaking at the HSE briefing, Dr. Colm Henry, and he said the current reproductive, the R number, it's funny how we're getting used to watching figures and watching numbers and people saying, you know, somebody in my household say to me after I was watching the news saying, what's the R number today? It's, it's almost becoming part of our daily speak and trying to find out. It's almost like, what's the weather like? What's the R number for today? And our R number, our reproductive number is now between 0.3 and 0.9. That means that each person infected with the virus has in turn infected less than one other person on average. So if you had 10 people with coronavirus, they would go on to infect between three. The least number they would infect is three people. This would be 10 people and up to uh, the, the highest, the 10 people would go on to infect eight people. Whereas at the beginning of March, that figure was at 2.0 and 2.5, which means those 10 people which each have, which have gone on to infect 20 people are 25 people. So it's a a big, big difference. And that's why that reproductive number and keeping that reproductive number low is so uh, important. So we need to continue the physical distancing uh, measures, because if we hadn't brought in even just the physical distancing that we we we're also now used to the the two metres. They reckon we would have seen between 10 and 12,000 deaths by the end of last week. And instead, the figure up to yesterday morning was 1,195 and it is still too many. One death from coronavirus is one death too many. But it's a huge difference to have had 1,195 lives lost compared to it could have been up to 12,000 people. So we can all kind of pat ourselves on on the back because we've all done our bit uh, to help. And Dr Henry said that if the number of people in the ICU facilities around Ireland are that the numbers have halved since the beginning of April as well as the positivity rate for those tested has fallen from 20% which is what we were looking at the start of March is down now to around 3%. He said there has been very positive trends which is giving everybody hope including that over 70% of people have now recovered from the illness and that's a figure that I always hold on to and that to me is the real good news story. The 70% of people who have contracted coronavirus are now okay. They've gotten over it and they're all okay. And that's, that in itself is a terrific uh, figure. And then outbreaks of the coronavirus in long-term residential se- settings. This is the one we were most worried about, especially nursing homes. 
that's now coming under control with the number in what they call the red zone that's now down to 56 now the red zone what does that signal that's a, a centre where there, it's an ongoing source of concern and obviously the HSE there's a need for them to put in substantial extra support so that number is down to 56 and that number was way higher last week Anne O'Connor the HSE Chief Operations Officer said of the 520 centres these are residential centres mainly nursing homes around 417 are now deemed to be stable there are confirmed cases of the virus in 371 nursing homes but many of them are coping well she says this gives a level of assurance that things are actually improving in relation to the residential care for older people there's been a significant increase in the number of home care staff who have now transferred to doing shifts in nursing homes and 146 of those workers have taken up duty because we were talking about that Last week, the home care workers, the home helps, as it, they're still affectionately, I think, referred to. They were taken away from their clients in the community and told they were going to be put to work in nursing homes. Early last week, we couldn't get exact figures on how many have got into nursing homes, but 146 now have taken up duty. So that's taking pressure off the nursing homes and it's giving them additional staff as well. And when the HSE were, were asked, would they do anything differently if there was a second wave of the virus? Dr. Colm Henry said it would know much more about how the virus manifests itself in older people. He made the point that it's a new virus and so much has been learnt about it and there is still so much unknown. Looking back, there is a lesson, he said, for Ireland and indeed all European countries that congregated settings like nursing homes where frail older people are accommodated together are not conducive to managing the spread of the virus. And I think that's one of the big lessons that has been learnt right across Europe. This isn't something that just has happened in Ireland. And Paul Reid even said the outbreaks in care homes has been a a feature in every other country, but especially across uh, Europe. There now has been 1,285 disability centres there. The focus now, 315 have been confirmed as having a suspected outbreak and testing of residents and staff will also be completed in mental health facilities along with disability centres this week because we know that everyone in a nursing home, all the testing has been complete both for patients and for residents. Now, I don't know, is it going to be a case that they're going to have to go back and test again? Because obviously if you have a nursing home and there are, there are many nursing homes who are very proud of the fact that coronavirus has not come in through their front doors and they've done all the testing procedures and they're all clear but do we, will we need in the weeks ahead to go back again to the nursing homes and say okay let's double check let's do more testing because we know I mean certainly if you're even just looking at what's going on if you're following closely what's going on in the States and that seems to be a changing story every day depending on what mood Donald Trump decides to be in but if you're looking on the story coming out from the United States from the White House and we know now that staff members of the White House who work quite closely with Donald Trump have been tested positive for the coronavirus and one of the workers in the White House had tested negative on a Thursday and tested positive on a Friday so I mean you can be it is one of those diseases that you can be testing negative one week and then get it because we know how contagious the 
the disease is, the virus is. So I don't know whether they're going to have to go back to nursing homes again in future weeks and start all over again and start the testing procedure again. And I suppose another, when we look through the papers and try to find any glimmer of good news that we can find, cancer and heart disease patients are to be prioritised. The HSE is aiming to restart routine hospital care. And of course, we have had many, many weeks now of postponed appointments because of the coronavirus uh, crisis. God only knows what the waiting lists are like for some procedures. But certainly, this is a bit of good news. This is the HSE coming out saying that cancer surgery, uh, chemotherapy, urgent specialist cardiovascular procedures, cardiovascular surgery, as well as patients in need of neurosurgery, people in need of liver transplants, they're all going to be the first in line. And they're also going to use greater use of facilities in uh, private hospitals. The HSE are also saying plans to resume mental health services in the community. By God, that's badly needed for children and for adults. They're already saying that they're going to bring back community staff such as the public health nurses. They'll be back at work and back working in the community. They're also proposing to restore home support services and respite care. And there are many families really just hanging on by the skin of their teeth and there's carers and it's it's one of the issues that we're not hearing a lot about. I mean I was listening to Joe Duffy last week which is always a great testing ground for what's happening out in the community all over uh, the country and carers were featured, particularly parents who are looking after children with special needs and children on the autism spectrum. Their schools have closed down. Their children have no understanding of why suddenly they're not going to school anymore. But there's no backup or support for those parents. And there's parents with older adults with special needs. Workshops have closed. They're all at home grappling just to get through uh, the day we really start needing to look at what support services can be put in to keep those families going because lockdown is going to continue we know the schools aren't going to go open so we know that those special needs children are not going to be going to school certainly before uh, September and it could be the same with the workshops reopening as well so supports need to be put in place because it's just I think it's an area of society that we're not hearing a lot about because these people are almost prisoners in their own home and they really are the unheard voices of this crisis. So I was really, really thrilled to hear that home support services and respite care. Respite care is badly, badly needed just to give those carers a break, let them recharge their batteries so that they continue to do the fantastic work that they are doing. GPs around the country are also going to be freed up to cater for more non- COVID patients because COVID-19 patients now the idea is that they're going to be looked after in the special hub so people should be able to get easier access to their GPs and I'm already seeing a text in from a listener saying I was talking to my GP two different weeks about a problem I'm having and he still won't see me so when will I be able to visit my doctor again keep safe uh, thanking you well I think With this particular plan going in and cancer and heart disease patients being prioritised and hearing that GPs are going to be freed up to cater for more non-COVID patients, I would be suggesting that maybe towards the end of this week or early next week, you ring again to say you still have the problem and that you really want to be seen by uh, the GP and hopefully you may be able to get an appointment uh, next week. We are having Dr Nick Flynn 
kind of our GP that we go to. He's almost our resident GP on the programme. He's going to be joining us tomorrow as, as he does regularly just to give us an overview of what's going on with COVID-19. So I'll get John Paul to make a note of that question and, and I'll ask Dr Nick tomorrow what advice that he could give uh, to that person and indeed to other people who are having problems trying to access their own uh, GP. Now, getting hospitals back up and running and starting to reschedule some some of those postponed appointments is going to be challenging uh, obviously and public hospitals were told now they're only going to be able to work at 80% of their capacity and that's obviously in order to be ready in case there there is and we hope and pray that there won't be but they're fearful that there could be a second flare-up of the coronavirus so they have to leave beds available, ICU beds are going to be left available. So they reckon hospital capacity, let's get it back up and running but hold it at 80%. Uh, percent. You know, the HSE are saying it can't be the same as it was before and it won't be the same as it was before until we have a vaccine for sure. Now we've, we do have private hospitals let's remember. The private hospitals, they've been temporarily taken over by the state they're still around 50% idle. So there certainly is capacity in all of the private hospitals. Now we have, of course, been hearing of of public patients who've been treated in private hospitals, including uh, cancer patients. And so far, 289 of the 600 fully private consultants have signed a temporary HSE contract to say that they'll work for the HSE and were told that more are expected to sign up this week. So let's keep our fingers crossed on, on that one because if we could get the private consultants back into the system again and have them working. Now they'll be working on people from the from the private list but let's get as many people as we possibly can who were on those postponed, particularly the postponed people who had surgeries ready to go and many of those have been waiting many months and sometimes many years for that urgent uh, surgery but good to know that they are prioritising things like cancer and uh, heart cases and that's the first of the non-COVID care as it is set to resume. Somebody says, morning Patricia the five kilometre distance that we're allowed to go for uh, exercise will that be extended from next Monday the 18th of May it's just that nothing in that line has been mentioned. No the five kilometre still remains in place from next Monday. Uh, you will be able to travel up to 20 kilometres away from your home on phase two and that starts on the 8th of June but from next Monday we're still limited to the five uh, kilometres. What is opening next week is the phased return to work for outdoor workers that's construction workers, gardeners including people working on allotments and I know there are people desperate to get into their allotments. Social distancing obviously will have to continue on that from next Monday. Also reopening next Monday outdoor shops shops that are primarily outdoors their garden centres hardware stores farmers markets they'll all reopen next Monday as long as social distancing can be put in place and shops that had previously opened in what was tier 2 which was all of the homeware stores opticians motor bicycle and repair shops office products electrical IT phone sales and repairs that can all reopen and that is reopening from next Monday and somebody was asking about face masks. We were told when the road map was given that there would be further guidance on when and where people should wear face masks and we're told it would be done well in advance of the 18th of May. We're a week out now from the 18th of May and they haven't said anything yet. The suspicions 
are some people feel what's going to happen is that when we're out in public we'll be asked to wear face masks or if we're going into any shops when shops start to reopen um, and the supermarkets that are already open we'll be asked to start wearing face masks but that hasn't been set in stone yet that advice is still not coming from the HSC and to me personally I think the fear behind asking the general public to do that is over the PPE the personal protection equipment I think the government are fearful that if they say to the general public the only way you can go out in public the only way you can go into a shop you have to be wearing a face mask and there's a fear that there will be a rush on PPE gear and then people who really need it inside in the hospitals they won't be able to get their hands on it and that, that's I've, I've just had that feeling about whenever they you, the health experts in the HSE are asked about wearing a face mask anyway they're going to offer guidance they haven't offered it yet but we should be expecting something this week. But on face masks, can I say, I got this in the post this morning from Yvonne Carney in Lower Killeen's in Cork and she made me a face mask. It's a surgical style face mask that's been knit. It's the, and, and I've had, I had the lovely cloth ones that Eileen in Mill Street sent on the, you know, the ones done on a sewing machine. But this is the first hand knitted one that I have seen and it can be washed. And it also says Yvonne can be used on a cold wintry day, which is true. And it's beautifully knitted and it's got loops to go over your ears, but it also has two strings so I can tie it at the back of my head. And very cleverly, there is a piece of cotton sewn on the inside. So you'd have cotton against your mouth, but you can just then pop it into the washing machine. So people are being really, really... So thank you, Yvonne, for that, by the way. You're a, you're a talented woman indeed. It's beautifully knitted as well. But it is great to see so many people making face masks themselves. And that's if we get to the stage where we're all going to be told that we must wear face masks in uh, public. That's what I'm going to be advocating people to do rather than run the risk of getting taking masks that need to be used in hospitals or in nursing home settings. I'd be saying to everybody, go buy one. That you go Make one if you can yourself, if you're anyway talented like our Yvonne is in Lower Killeen's. Make your own. And it, But if you're not, try and buy cloth masks. I was in Horgan's Chemist in Tesco in Mallow and they had, I think they were 350. They had cloth face masks. They were black ones that are that are washable. So many, keep a lookout in chemists. Many places are starting to sell the cloth ones as well that are washable and uh, reusable. And for members of the general public going out and about wearing masks, to me that's the way to go is to use the reusable ones that can just be washed. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking the call text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Fon Sawalcha let's see 103 Covid Nidig and Shutin Erin Agus Kamut Fanak Sawalia Kunwich Fain Agus Akela Akusant. Anish Ta Plan Lakuit came in at Elm Nahantir Oskol Darish. The Dion Tuxala de Dini Beltna, Bezera Lakupa Shrianta Avian Hanafain. Mata to Dolomon Akliach de Tavamwe, Anish Ta Kyadaga Fanavoskuk Kuit Kilometer Dimbalia in Nigra Kilometer. Mata Shivak Fanak Somalia and Tamar Fad no Kakuning, Be Kyadaga Dolomak Lashit in Kuit Kilometer, Akhtor Aragon Arilka Free Social Distancing. Bigi Olavner. Agus Fern 
Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay at home. Stay home. This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And by the way, one of the other changes that is coming in as we slowly ease out of lockdown from next Monday, May the 18th, up to four people who don't live together can meet outdoors. If you're going out for your walk or you want to meet up with friends to have a chat and do a bit of exercising, but you need to stay two metres apart. And that kicks in from next Monday the 18th of May as we head into phase one and a listener says Patricia Dean does anybody know if the GAA field and the pond walk in Bantir is open uh, thanking you obviously somebody who wants to go there to do a little bit of exercise anybody in the Bantir area let us know the GAA field and the pond walk in Bantir is that open to the general public 1850 333 103 now an at home child care plan for frontline workers which has been introduced by the government, has been branded unworkable after a major insurer warned it will not cover COVID-19 claims. Marion Quinn is chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals Ireland and Marion joins me. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Now, leaving the insurance aside, and we'll discuss that in, in, in a moment, do you welcome this scheme? Um, we certainly welcome any scheme that's going to help um, you know, frontline healthcare workers to be able to get to work because we know that for the last eight weeks they've been hugely stressed um, you know, in trying to find childcare and um, and also that, you know, I mean, some people have had to you know, kind of take leave or not be able to or have to work from home rather than being able to be in you know, the hospitals or care facilities. So, so definitely something is needed. And indeed, um, a, lot of our, a lot of our profession would have volunteered from the very start and uh, would have made connections with hospitals and care places so that they could have uh, so they could volunteer in the homes um, and provide support like you know that in terms of doing it in a personal capacity um so definitely it's needed and and we're definitely you know ready and eager to help um but it has to be a scheme that that doesn't put a, a huge amount of risk on services absolutely so how does the scheme um operate i mean for example your members do they volunteer to take part so um the service the so, so the early childhood service would have to volunteer 
Um, so the provider would have to talk with their staff and see if any of their staff would be willing to, to volunteer under this because, I mean, some obviously will have childcare needs of their own or they'll, um, you know, it's predominantly female workforce. So um, you could have some be- people who are involved in their, you know, care of their of their um, their parents or, you know, kind of elderly people. Um, so whoever, if there is staff members who are able to volunteer and if the provider um, will volunteer, um, then they, they apply to go on a list. Um, and then the list is operated um, by you know department agencies, and they will connect the healthcare workers um, with the childcare staff. And it'll be obviously local childcare staff in the area. People are not going to be asked to travel. No, no, absolutely. And, and the ideal would be that um, you know when parents when um, families are connected, that they be if their child is all, was already going to a crash, that they would be connected with staff. So they know, they know, yeah, they know the staff, etc. And then the childcare worker goes into the home to look after the child, isn't it? Yes, they do. Yes. And is it is it just for children of healthcare workers only? Well, at the moment, yes, it is for um, healthcare workers. Now, they have to define what healthcare worker is, and that would be up to the HSE to do that. So it could be anybody, like, I mean, it, it, medical staff, um, but it could also be, um, you know, uh, technicians, attendants, um, you know, porters, cooks in the, in the hospitals and stuff. So that'll be up to the HSE to decide what that criteria is. And then is it expected to be rolled out to other essential workers? Not going into the homes, no. Um, okay. It's expected that in, on, I think, June 29th, so phase three, um, that services, uh, childcare services would start opening for um, essential um, workers. Okay, we'll talk about that in, in, in a moment as well. But talk to me about the, the insurance issue and in this insurance companies coming out. If they don't provide cover, where does that leave this scheme? Well, yeah, huge difficulty. Now, um, the department had informed us before they announced the scheme that um, you know, that they wouldn't be able to get COVID cover, um, you know, for any COVID-related claims. Um, and we expressed our concern to the department in relation to this because obviously, um, you know, staff are going into homes, so it's you know, it's, it's mixing, um, you know, with, with other people. So there's a higher risk um, of getting. Uh, COVID-19 um, so the employer's role is they, they need to look after the health and well-being of their staff so they need to make sure that they are putting their staff into as safe an environment as possible so we had sought government um, you know, department indemnity um, for you know for the providers who would sign up to the scheme and the department said that they weren't in a position to provide that indemnity so then the letter came out from the insurance broker um, last Thursday to all providers who were insured with them um, saying that they would not be able to provide the insurance um, for any COVID-related um, claims um, and that again they had sought an indemnity um, by the Department of Government uh, you know, for this service um, but again the government had said because they are private services that they would not be able to provide indemnity for them. Um, so obviously it's a huge risk for any provider to take. There was already a risk with insurance for the simple fact that these staff are going to be going into um, what we would say uncontrolled environments. So obviously, if you're in a crash, um, there's a huge amount of regulation that has to be upheld in relation to the, you know, to the premises. And um, so you, you know, you can be sure it's a relatively safe environment. Um, but going into a home, every home is so different, mm-hmm. and you know, you don't know. You, you can't do a risk assessment for for those homes. But the provider would be responsible for all that goes on in that in that home. Um, you know, with the employee and the child. Um, so that was a huge risk anyway. Um, and this this is one then that they just kind of go, hang on, you know, we're, we're leaving ourselves wide open with this. So there's, there's uh, from the people who've been talking to us, there's not a huge um, appetite or not any appetite, um, you know, to open under these uh, circumstances. Because it's due to start next Monday, isn't it? 
It is due to start on Monday, yes. Yeah, I mean, the applications are open. Um, the information was sent out to providers uh, last week, um, I think last Thursday or Friday, um, was sent out to providers and for providers to, you know, to send in if they were interested in engaging with this. We don't know what figures in terms, if anybody did or how many did. We don't know those figures yet. Sounds to me, it sounds like a lot of work, Marion, has to be done between well, here and next and, Monday. And as well as that, like anybody who does volunteer for it, while they would have been guarded vetted to be in their service, um, they will have to be re-guarded vetted to go into the home. Um, so obviously that will take a couple of days as well. So, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no, while the, while the, the you know, guarded vetting could have been sorted, you know, as quick as possible, because we know the guarded vetting, is, um, you know, is on standby for that. Uh, people have to have to um, volunteer first for it, and and there's just too many risks. Um, it seems. And the childcare workers obviously will will be paid. Are they on COVID nineteen payments at the moment? Um, some are on COVID nineteen payments, but uh, a lot of them would also be on, um, or instead would be on the temporary wage subsidy scheme. Um, and there's a childcare version of that. Which we're having a problem there. Sorry, we're just having a problem there with with, with your phone. Oh, it's it's just breaking up ever, ever ever so slightly. Sorry, just explain that again about how childcare workers are being paid at the moment. Yeah, so some some are on the COVID payment, um, and others are on the temporary wage sub- subsidy scheme, and there's a childcare ver- version of that. So it's where revenue would pay eighty five percent of the wages, and then the Department of Children and Youth Affairs would top up um, the rest up to a maximum of. Um, 585. Okay. All right. A lot of work, Marion, then to be done between here and next Monday if, if that scheme is to be up and running. And then you mentioned that it's in phase three, uh, lifting of restrictions on the 29th of June. It's the opening of creches, childminders, and preschools for children of essential workers. Mm-hmm. What's your thought, passion on that? And is the industry ready? Um, at the moment, no, because uh, there has, you know, there was no indication as to how this would happen um, in terms of what ratios, in terms of you know what would be required for social distancing purposes, in relation to obviously, you know, the services would have to open and um, with reduced numbers, and there'd be financial implications there. So at the moment, we don't have any answers for that. Um, a social group has been set up and will be meeting every week um, from tomorrow um, to and to look at internationally what is happening and um, what would need to be put in place to support services and um, to be able to to open, you know, in that limited capacity, um, you know, in a way that's financially viable and it's as safe as possible for all that would be involved. Very hard to get small children to get involved in social distancing, isn't it? To keep two metres well, apart. Well, you see, it wouldn't happen internationally. It wouldn't be that the children would socially distance, but that it would be the groups, that would be, the children would be formed into small little groups in, in fresh. Okay. Um, and that those groups would be the group that would stay together at all times. So what, what would be the number of those children? It would be two, three, four. So certainly there would be mixing um, of the children, but it would be with the same children every day and it wouldn't be with a larger group um, of children. Okay, um, and then the same adults... The same adults would just work and with those same, children. And the same yeah. adults. And obviously then there'd be, you know, there'd be staggered drop-off times that the parents wouldn't be, you know, kind of, um, meeting, so they'd be socially distancing as they're doing it. So, and, and obviously, you know, the hand hygiene and um, respiratory hygiene, etc. Um, so that is happening in international international countries, you know, where, where services are open, remained open through throughout um, for essential um, staff. So obviously we're reviewing that very, very carefully and uh, seeing what would be best to implement here. And with talks of schools reopening, even though if you if you read some uh, commentators uh, today and reading over the weekend, a lot of people are saying schools won't be ready to open in September, but say that schools are ready to open in, in September. Can you see your sector, Marion, being back to where it was in September? 
Oh, not that, not back to where it was. I mean, unless there is a miracle cure or you know whatever, or a vaccine found. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's um it's going to be definitely phased. It's going to be for you know essential um you know essential requirements initially, and um, because again you know as you said you, you can't ask children to social distance. That, that's impossible um, for for young children to do so. Um, so it would be phased. And of course, look, you're also going to have the reality that you know people will have lost their jobs, so there won't be as many people needing childcare either. Yeah. Um, you know when when uh, services do open, uh, so there's. Yeah, it, it definitely won't be won't be back to where it was in September or any time close to September. I would say, um, you know, given uh, given how how you know infectious um, this virus is and how you can get flare ups again, so we have to be very careful. Okay, all right. Listen, stay safe, and married, and thank you very much for joining us on the program this morning. Okay. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Marion Quinn of the chairperson of the Association of Childhood Professionals Ireland. And we certainly do seem to be somewhere off getting that particular plan up and running that is due to start next Monday where you would have childcare workers minding the children of frontline workers but doing it in their own homes there's a, a lot of things to be decided on that between now and next Monday we'll keep a close eye on it 1850 Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7 on C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Anthony said I'll be back in my crash on the 29th of June it'll be a new place to work in yeah I think all childcare providers are accepting that uh, and she said looking forward though to going going back it'll be good to be back in routine and also it's good to have a male in childcare uh, indeed it is says Anthony thank you for that uh, 1850 333103 we have a break news at 11 on the way in the next hour we're going to be looking and chatting about the fishing industry uh, some calling for an investigation to that Spanish trawler that ended up in Castletown Bear with the, with the crew, eight of the 15 crew testing positive for COVID-19. That's all coming up after News at 11. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Infectious disease outbreaks like COVID-19 can be worrying, which may affect your mental health. However, there are many things you can do to mind your mental health during times like these. Stay informed, but set limits for news and social media. Exercise regularly, especially walking, but keep within two kilometers of your home. Keep regular sleep routines. Maintain a healthy, balanced diet and avoid excess alcohol. Practice relaxation techniques such as meditation and breathing exercises. Read a book. Search for online exercise or yoga classes, concerts, religious services or guided tours. Improve your mood by doing something creative. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
fishing industry representatives want an investigation into how a Spanish-owned trawler with sick crew who had been diagnosed with coronavirus were allowed to dock and unload fish in Castletown Bear last month. Patrick Murray of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation joins me. Good morning, Sir Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. Nice uh, to be talking to you. Well, and great to be talking to you. I suppose just by way of background, when and how did your organisation and indeed the good people at Castletown Bear find out about this incident, find out that there had actually been people with COVID-19 on that particular trawler? It was actually reported in Spain, Patricia. Um, it was the skipper had to go to hospital when they uh, landed in Spain. And uh, the rest of the crew were tested, and out of the crew, uh, I think seven were asymptomatic, and one they believe had recovered uh, during the journey. And it transpired that uh, they had been this individual crewman had been sick, leaving port, leaving Spain, developed symptoms, but uh, not enough for the skipper to deem that it was warranted to turn around and go back to, to Spain. You know, he kept fishing, and of course, no way of testing him while he was out out at sea. No, no, a very dangerous situation to be honest with you, because. Uh, Without the proper medical facilities on board, we, we see how many people have passed. And, and uh, I'd like to pause and offer my condolences to all the people who have lost members and family members in this um, crazy time that we're facing at the moment, you know. But, uh, yeah, like if you don't have the proper facilities on board the boat, you could actually have a, a fatality, you know. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a risky job at the best of times. So for this, on top of it, it really shows the dangers of what fishermen face, regardless of what country they're coming from, you know. We also know how contagious. The one thing we do know about coronavirus is how contagious it is. Oh, well, look, sure. Um, out of the crew of 15, I think, that was on board, more than half got the coronavirus. Yeah, So yeah. that'll tell you how dangerous it is on board a vessel, you know. And all fishing boats, am I right in saying that they must make a full declaration about the health of their crew before docking? Yes, but not only that, Patricia, I was asking our own members now what is the protocol for them if one of their crewmen shows signs and symptoms of, of having any illness or, or coronavirus, especially at these times, they actually are duty to bound contact the Coast Guard, inform them of, of the situation and take direction from them. And then they come in, uh, they go to the mooring, they don't go to the to the pier wall unless instructed, and they uh, wait for the authorities to come and, and take it from there, you know. But that's for, is that only for, for Irish Irish boats? The, well, that's, but it, yeah. that's not like, the same, though, for, for French or, or Spanish trawlers. Well, we don't, I don't know. You see, that's why the investigation is why we were looking for, it's a strong word, but we have to learn from events that happen. If we don't learn from the events that happen and we don't have the full answers to what happened, then, of course, this could happen again and we don't learn from it and we don't put in the necessary safeguards mm. if, if they're required. So that's what we were looking for, was to find out the missing links of information that were there. So to put it in context, it's very simple. Look, if that crewman got sick leaving Spain, he was fishing for two to three weeks, and in that time he passed on the coronavirus, we assume, to the rest of his crewmates. But that boat continued to fish, and then it landed in Ireland with sick crew members, regardless of asymptomatic. They would have been able to transfer the virus to anybody ashore if they came in contact with them. So it's something that had to be looked at closer. But I'm happy to say that I've heard that there's been an awful lot more stringent measures put into Castletown Bear now and proper barriers and everything put in place. So, you know, uh, that is a a good outcome of this. And the best outcome, to be honest with you, Patricia, was there was no fatalities on board that Spanish boat because, look, we're all fishermen, same fraternity. Nobody wants to see anybody going to sea, regardless of where they're from. Um, in those dangerous positions, you know. And according to the skipper, the crew didn't go ashore. 
So can we take some comfort from that? Well, that's it. But you see, if even if somebody else went on board the boat and you know how easy it is to transfer, it could be on a fish box or anything like that. We Look, we wanted safer protocols to be put in place. If that was the case that that skipper owner or, or, or the, the master of the vessel had informed our own uh, health services here that there was a potential case, he wouldn't have come to the pier. He would have gone to the mooring first and then they would have been tested, you know. Another extra safeguard would have been put in place. And look, that's what people are looking for in the, in the coastal communities. There isn't one case of coronavirus in the Barrow Peninsula at the moment. Not and, one. And that's, that, the way, that's, that's the way we want to keep it. Absolutely. So, like, just to put it in context, Patricia, there are 1,500 lendings of foreign vessels into Castletown Bear. So we've no issue with boats lending in Castletown Bear. We never had. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the, the, the friendliest thing that you can be looking at if you're tied to the pier yourself. But that aside, that means an average of 10 crewmen per vessel. That's 30 a week. That's 300 individuals. And there's around 30 to 40 lorries coming. So that's 340 people would be visiting the port of Castletown Bear from foreign countries, regardless whether they come in a lorry or in a fishing boat. And that's an enormous amount of numbers of people that you would want to have proper protocols in place to deal with any suspect case of coronavirus in, in our communities, you know. And the, But surely those numbers are not as high during a pandemic. Oh, they are, yeah. There's... there's even more now, lendings to Castletown Bear, I'd say. At the present time, there's a lot of Spanish boats, just 40 to 50 Spanish boats just fishing off our coastline. But, um, but, the, but the, are our Irish fishermen boats not tied up? They are, yeah. So we have huge numbers because I, I was looking at and I, I was I was, it was I was baffled by it yesterday. I was looking at photographs of the amount of trawlers and ships off the Irish coast. And they're all Spanish and French. That's right. And so they then land there. Are they? Uh, how many of them would then would be landing in Castletown there? Well, as I said, around fifteen hundred a year has been consistent now with the last number of years landings in the year. And um, and they're an sending they're sending has. the fish back to Spain. Straight back in the Spanish lorry. A Spanish lorry comes, picks up the fish, brings food for the vessel from the Spanish lorry, gives it to their boat and the crew, and loads the fish, turns around and heads home. For sale in the Spanish market. In the mar- Spanish market, yeah. yeah. And is there? And what about Irish fish? Does nobody want Irish fish at the moment? What's the problem? Well, you there? see, if, 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 if there's enough Spanish vessels catching enough fish to supply their own market, then there isn't room for our Irish boats to land into Spain, you know. But we have, in fairness, the co-op has a good relationship with one of the supermarkets in Spain. And that's a lifeline at the moment, like there's a bit of fish going out there. But in the overall markets, uh, no, very little. In France, now there's fierce controversy with the last number of weeks where Finnish um, fishermen have said they don't want to see any other uh, European fish coming in, regardless. They only want their own boats to supply their own markets and have put pressure, according to the reports now, that uh, put pressure on the people who are buying the fish to only buy French fish, you know. But they can't do that in an open market. Well, they seem to be managing it at the moment. Like, uh, we have our own domestic market here, too, and we were trying to get people to eat fresh fish. I was just going to say, that's what we need to start really doing, start and making sure it's Irish fish. Well, if you if it's fresh, if it's not in a container, you can be assured that it's fresh, that it's, you know, and it's up in the counter and it's out in the spade, and chances are that it will be Irish caught, Irish landed, Irish boats fish, you know. And Look, 
a fantastic product. I, I eat a lot of it myself and I don't see that it's that dear, to be honest with you, in the greater scheme of things. You'd feed a family there for 10 or 15 euros. Like, there's no waste in it. You, yeah, what you buy yeah. now is no bones or nothing. It's all filleted better than it ever was before, you know. It's fantastic and comes off our boats fresh, landed into our ports. I, 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 I'm... I'm I'm bewildered by we don't eat more fish, to be honest with you, especially when I go out. As an island nation, it's it's one thing that has always baffled me, why we don't eat as much fish. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I was talking to a girl, actually, from Spain, um, Patricia, and she said that in Spain, just before the dinner hours during the day and at night time when they eat late, you will see loads of ads of fish. Loads. Like, so... You're, you're programming your population. Look, this is a fantastic food. No contaminants, no ingredients added to it, no uh, chemicals, nothing. Just straight from the sea, fresh, and uh, it's the best food you can eat, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Nothing added to it, just perfectly natural. And uh, that's why they do it. And look, they have good health service over there. But if you've got a, a population that's eating healthy food, then it helps and reduces sickness. That's proven, you know. No mm. additives, no nothing. So oh, the me- it's, it's isn't it part of the Mediterranean diet? They eat so much there fish. There you go. Yeah, and they yeah. they all live uh, long, happy lives. That's got, it. That's it. Uh, but, and we've got we've got restaurants closed. We've got hotels closed. We've a tourist market that's decimated for uh, for twenty twenty. A lot of fish would have gone into that market. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, uh, our fishing fleet, I don't think, has space. We we were worried about Brexit and we were, you know, that we were going to lose fishing grounds and everything else. But sure, we don't have markets now for our fish. We, there's, 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 the fleet is over catching what we need um, in our domestic market. So if the foreign markets won't take the fish and their own fleets are catching Irish fish and Irish waters and supplying those markets, it's uh, it's an uphill battle, really, you know. It's, um, we were delighted to hear that the minister... Um, brought in a tie-up scheme it mightn't be enough money in it yet but we have to sit down and negotiate with that because a fishing boat just by tying to the pier wall doesn't mean that it doesn't incur any cost insurance is 40 to 50,000 maintenance for the boat um, even the ship to shore communications is so much a month boats are so modern now they have, the engines have to be kept running or onshore heating because you have maybe 20,000, 30,000 worth of um, equipment inside in your wheelhouse that has to be kept dry and warm, you know, mm. and, and maintained. So there's massive cost with, with just even owning a boat. You know, you have to paint her every year. Now, regardless, you have to come out of the water. You have to allow for that cost to be broken down during the year. You know, you won't make that. And the worst thing is that this time of the year now would be the best three months. It's the time to make your money, isn't it? Yeah, like they, they've made very, very little known there. Yeah. In December, January and February with the bad weather like so it was a double whammy is, is, is the way I describe it. Would you be day. would you be fearful that some might not survive, Patrick? Very fearful, Patricia, yeah. to be honest with you. In, and we've seen decimation in our fleet in the last ten years, looking at the report that a minister put out himself, you know, from the Marine Institute. We had two hundred and eighty vessels over eighteen metres. That's all our fleet was. That's down to hundred and thirty now in the live register. So we've already lost hundred and fifty boats over 18 metres in uh, 10 years. So, like, there isn't much more to lose. We won't have a fishing fleet, to be honest with you, if things keep going the way they're going. We see Baltimore, where I fish from. There's very little big boats down there. There's one or two families just keeping it going. Would you believe it? There's only two owned, family-owned boats left in, in Hoth, in Dublin. You know, oh, my God. An, an, air, an area that was always yeah. had so the family-owned... 
Donegal is another area you know there's yeah. very few boats there lads that are just struggling to, to keep going like you know it's in them and they won't give up you know but it's really really hard now for fishermen to, to it's so expensive to keep boats going and cost of diesel and everything else to go out there and look these lads I have the most respect for them they go out and they risk their lives regardless you know I know the COVID virus and we have frontline people but these lads are bringing in food on the front line all the time and people you know they see the gales they see the storms we, we're seeing it worse and worse and worse and the way that we fish in this country and give out the quota if you don't catch it in the month you can't carry it forward to the next month so you've lost it so if you don't get out in that month that's one twelfth of your earnings yeah, you it's know, crazy I, system. I, I, it's always been a crazy system. Absolutely. All right, okay, uh, Patrick. And uh, back to the issue that you we invite you to join us on about this Spanish boat. Is there any talk of an investigation into that incident? Well, I, I'm hoping there is. You see, look, we have to be mindful as well too that we land in their ports and they land in our ports. And look, we share the waters, and it is a shared resource. We mightn't agree with the share uh, amount. Definitely don't. But you know, these lads are fishing the same as our lads are fishing here. It's not in their gift or their control to give more, take more. So we have to work together, you know. So we'd hate for the Spanish newspapers to think that we were looking for investigations for a different subject altogether. This is purely and utterly about the safety and health of our coastal communities. One case could spark a pandemic right across our bare peninsula. Like, well, that isn't, we isn't, know how easy it is to isn't that how it came into this country? It was exactly. one person brought it in and, and, and look where we're at now. Exactly. OK, listen, uh, Patrick, uh, stay safe. And if we can just get the message out to everybody for this week, just for one dinner this week, change what you are planning to have for your family meal and get out there and buy some fresh fish. And, 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 and if we all do that. And once you have it, I guarantee you. Look, yeah, it's, come it's back again. Cheaper. Yeah, yeah, look, we're at home. It's cheaper, the food is cheaper. What you, it's, it's maybe a third of the price, you know, that you pay in a restaurant. And look, we know why, because of the overheads and the staff inside in restaurants. But this is an opportunity now that you can try it. And it doesn't have to be that complicated, you know. Bit of flour into the pen, bit of butter, and away you go. There, he's even given us the recipe. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> listen, Patrick, stay safe. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Patrick uh, Murphy there of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. Eat some fish this week, folks. 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Sorry about this. I actually don't have, I don't have the the job link. Um, okay, we'll get back to it later. Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Now, many people will have heard of dyspraxia, a disorder that affects fine and our gross motor coordination, and of course, it affects both children and adults. But this morning, we're going to focus on a condition called verbal dyspraxia. Two mothers join me to discuss how verbal dyspraxia affects their uh, children. Uh, Julie Sweeney and uh, um, Evelyn Murphy. Uh, good morning to you both, ladies. Good morning, good morning Patricia. Um, Julie, I suppose if I can start with you, what is verbal dyspraxia? Okay, um, so verbal dyspraxia, Patricia, I suppose from my point of view, come into my life with my son Connor, um, who has very severe speech issues. Um, so he's diagnosed as having severe, profound developmental language disorder. Um, expressive language is delayed and he's an associated in verbal dyspraxia. 
So, as you said, there are dyspraxia. People might be familiar with but verbal dyspraxia is actually um, not related to dyspraxia as such. It's completely different. And it is a neurological disorder. And it's where you would have um, significant issues with planning your speech. So, for a child like Connor, um, a diagnosis of verbal dyspraxia is where child would generally have a very good understanding of language. They know what they want to say but they have very um, big difficulties in actually carrying out what they want to say. So for example, you or I, we know that when we want to talk, we have to move our tongue, our face, our mouth and all of that to make the sounds that we want and we make them in the order that we want them really to make without even thinking about it. Whereas for a child like Connor with verbal dyspraxia, he can't plan um, how to say those words. He literally has to learn from the very beginning how to move the muscles in his face and his mouth and his tongue, his soft palate, and he has to learn how to make all of those sounds from scratch and then he has to put it in the planning aspect of it so he says them in the order he wants them to say so that his speech is intelligible. And that is incredibly difficult for him. I'm straight away thinking, Julie, the frustration of knowing what you want or need and having to go through all of that to try and get that across to somebody. He works flat out 24-7 every day of the week. Um, And it it, it is frustrating. And I suppose the older he gets, the more... Uh, frustrated it can be at times to to get his point across but I suppose Patricia I always take hope in one of his his crash workers years ago would have said for a guy who has no words he's a great communicator (laughs) so he relies a lot on in the early days it was all gestures grunts kind of intonations Um, you know we always said he had one word which was mana but he could say it in 30 different ways to get his point across. Um, Now, he's made significant progress in recent months. Um, He started um, into a language unit in St. Goblet's and Mallow, and we have been absolutely blessed with the magical work they've done there in the school. And he's gone from having that one word to, you know, short little sentences, but it takes absolutely ferocious amount of work and effort every day of the week. And Julie... At what stage did you realise that Connor might be having a problem with speech? Uh, so very early on, I would have had suspicions. And he's the youngest of three, so I thought I had the other two to kind of compare him to. He was that absolute dream child in the sense that he played really quietly. But looking back on it, that's actually a big indicator. Um, so he wasn't making any of the real kind of childhood babbly kind of sounds. Um, so I had suspicions. Um well before his second birthday, but I kind of felt I'd be fobbed off and I'd be told, wait until he was Mm. two. He'll grow out of it. Yeah. Um, And verbal dyspraxia, it's not a speech delay, so you don't grow out of it. It is a disorder. Um, So... Is it difficult to get a diagnosis? Very difficult. I went to the GP when he was two. I was kind of waiting until two. And bang on his second birthday, I was in the GP asking for a referral and I was initially being told, ah, you know, he's only two, give him a chance. Now, there is a family history of, of speech issues as well. So the minute I mentioned that, we got the referral. But with anything with the HSE, as you well know, they were waiting list and waiting list and waiting list for a waiting list. So 
we waited and he was initially assessed. We were told, yeah, he had some speech issues. He was behind. Um, and in the HSE system, so from about the age of two years, five months maybe, he got access to blocks of SLT therapy, which is about an hour a week for maybe six sessions. And then you go back to the back of the queue and you're waiting another maybe six months to get seen again. And with verbal dyspraxia, because you need to, to learn how to make the sound, very intensive, regular therapy is the only solution. And so he was in, in you know, with community care and he was in fabulous speech language therapist and he was in the early intervention team. But really, we didn't see a lot of progress with his speech until he started into the, the specialised language class. Yeah, let me bring in um, at this point, um, Evelyn Murphy. Uh, good morning to you, Evelyn. Good morning, Patricia. Evelyn, I know you're co-founder of a group called Verbal Dyspraxia Ireland, but it's your son, uh, Charlie. Is Charlie's story similar to Connor's? Yes, it's a very, very similar story. I mean, Charlie and Connor, there's about six months between them. Charlie is six months older than Connor. And like Julie, we started our journey when Charlie was a year and a half requesting for his speech to be um, assessed by the HSC. And again, like Judy, uh, we're based in Dublin, so the demand on services, and in particular on disability services, if you happen to be within a disability team, are enormous. And we waited a year for Charlie's speech to be assessed, so he was two and a half by the time he was assessed. We were told that he had um, severe expressive speech concerns and that he would absolutely need speech and language services. But unlike Julie, um, the first time that Charlie actually had any meaningful speech and language therapy provided by the HSC was in October 2019, which was four years and four months after he was first referred. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so we have been going privately at immense cost to us, um, of course, um, every week since Charlie was um, about two years um, and six months. Um, so we've been going privately to a, a fantastic practice based in Nace, so we do travel to it. And it was in that practice very early on when two, Charlie was about two years, eight months, that they suspected verbal dyspraxia. dyspraxia. And we know, as Julie said, it is a very rare speech sound disorder. It impacts between one to two children in a thousand worldwide. And we know the huge difficulty um, around, um, firstly, diagnosing it, uh, recognising it, actually, diagnosing it, and then um, giving um, sufficient treatment. And there are massive challenges within private and public practice um, surrounding speech sound disorders and that level of experience and knowledge that's available in Ireland. Um, and it's just not here. I mean, we don't even know how many children in Ireland present with this disorder. And many families are being fobbed off saying, oh, yeah, we think it might be speech sound disorder. It's quite like verbal dyspraxia, but I'm not entirely sure. And the difficulty around uh, verbal dyspraxia is that you need to be actively in therapy with a speech and language therapist before it can be diagnosed. Because the speech so, and language so, so, therapist the, so the real problem then, it is probably very underdiagnosed. I would, a lot of speech and language therapists would agree to that. They would say that it is undiagnosed. Many speech and language therapists will go through their entire career having never come across a child with verbal dyspraxia. So not only may it be undiagnosed, it but is. I can't confirm that, I would guess that it's also very much misunderstood. And therefore, the supports are not in place. So as Julie spoke about blocks of therapy, for instance, a child with verbal dyspraxia cannot be in the same system of blocks of therapy as every other child. It just simply doesn't work like that. Okay, in an ideal world, what mm-hmm. type of speech and language therapy would a child with verbal dyspraxia need? Well, worldwide, the model, so if you look at the model in countries like 
America, Australia, Canada, where verbal dyspraxia is largely researched, uh, researched, and you know, speaking to the leading charity in the states, Apraxia Kids, they they reminded me that I was about eighteen years behind where they were. Their children receive multiple speech and language therapy sessions per week. They get it through the public or private system, mostly public because it's funded depending on the states that state that they are in in the states. They also get it in a school setting. So there is no fighting uh, like we have to do as parents for language units and accessing language units, which unlike, for instance, even the UK model, they have a maximum threshold here. So maximum amount of time that you can spend in a language unit is two years. In the UK, the minimum amount of time you spend in a language unit is two years. So the models are completely different. And I guess that is the frustration for us as parents of children with a rare speech sound disorder. And we know that communication is a basic human right. We know that children, every child and young adult and actually every human deserves a voice. But they're not being supported in education. They're not being supported you know, in the classroom. They're not being supported in the healthcare system to achieve that communication ability, that highest level of communication ability, whatever that might be. And some of these children may be, you know, may be largely unintelligible well into their teens. Or they may develop language much earlier. It all depends. There is a spectrum, of course, in verbal dyspraxia. Um, If I give you an example of what that might sound like, Patricia, if I was to ask you to give me the dee-dee-da-da-da, would you know what I was asking you for? No. That is how my son, Charlie, our son, Charlie, (laughs) uh, that's how he requests the little iPad. Yeah, and you so know, is, and again, you know exactly what Charlie's looking for, and Julie will know exactly what Connor is looking of for, course. but nobody else will. Of course. And that is why it is really, really important that the early intervention system works, that waiting four and a half years for a therapy, or in Julie's case, getting blocks of therapy at every six not months. Not good enough. Just, it's not, just good not good enough. Julie, and, if, if I can bring you back in, um, Julie, with, you know, you talk about Skull Government on Fantastic School and, and what they're providing for you, but they've been closed now since March. How is that affecting Connor? His development and his progress is literally on pause. Um, and I mean, the, the work that he was doing, Patricia, I, I can't praise um, his speech language therapist and his, his teacher and the principal, Mr. Walsh, there. Absolutely. I mean, they worked magic and that's what he was told they were doing. Um, and I mean, Connor would have started in September wholly unintelligible. Um, he really had one to two operational words. And, you know, it was a big fear. I was very concerned when he was moving from his preschool um, that, you know, he had been since a baby and they were well used to him and they had done you know, all the bits and, and they, they knew his kind of different gestures and stuff. So I was very concerned when he started school last September, how is he going to cope in a completely alien environment to him? But of course, you know, they were fantastic. Um, and his work initially, I suppose, back in kind of September, October, was very much learning how to move his face muscles um, and to shape his mouth to make the different sounds. That's the level that Connor was at, at five years of age. Um, and he very quickly, because he's so eager, he wants to learn to talk. Um, and he's got so much to say. So Bless. he very quickly progressed to kind of, I suppose, blending sounds. So he went from the ooh to the boo. Um, and, I mean, he's at the stage now where, where school closed in March. He was starting to put little kind of words together for very short sentences. Um but that is literally all on pause now. I and will be now, we know, until September. Until September. So, and he has no access 
to any community therapy because he's in the language class. That's just shocking. Um, and and I mean, Evelyn, Evelyn, with you and Charlie, are you in a mm-hmm. similar situation in Dublin? Um, well, Charlie, unfortunately, is not in a language unit and, and at the minute is um, um, excluded from the language units that are available in Dublin because Charlie has another diagnosis. Um, and so he's therefore not entitled to access the language units. Now, we are fighting against that. But he goes to, um, you know, regular school, sits in the classroom with 23 other children with a lot to say, like Connor, and really, um, you know, very, finding it very difficult to speak. But I, what I will say is that the school that he attends, um, which is our local school, is is absolutely fantastic. And from the principal to everybody, you know, his teachers, they really have um, tried very, very hard to tie into Charlie's special language, and they understand him. And he was going out of his classroom every day for 25 minutes to a resource teacher, one-to-one, working on, on speech sounds. And again, like, like Connor, very, very difficult for our children to blend sounds. So what comes out, they might be able to say the beginning of the word, but not the end of the word, just because they might learn one motor plan. So, for instance, for Charlie, used to be able to say mammy for a very, very long time, but wasn't able to say me even though me is at the end of mammy. Yeah. And so it's a really, really complicated, actually it's fascinating, but really, really complicated um, speech planning um, disorder. And so they need a huge amount of repetition, which is really, really difficult for the children. And of course, being out of that environment where they're in school, which is their natural environment, their natural learning environment, and they're now at home with their parents and mammy is now becoming the teacher it's and hard. you know it's really difficult and yes yeah. we try and you know the school have said you know just try and focus on even sight word recognition and you know he is storing all of that and we have to believe and i've met you know 20 a 21 year old girl who has fully recovered from verbal dyspraxia she still has motor planning issues because it's lifelong but she's fully intelligible and fully fluent and in fact debates in trinity college you know and she's an amazing woman um, and so there, there has to be so hope. So that, that gives you great hope. A great hope. But but um, I will stress that when she was three and a half years of age, she was getting therapy multiple times a week from the HSE. So things have changed. We don't have the same access to those services. Um, language units, again, very, very difficult to get into them. They're not funded adequately. And unless schools can afford, you know, between ten and 15,000 a year to fund a speech and language therapist to get in, to um, the school and offer support in a school environment, then how are these children who are not entitled to attend language units going to be supported in the in the classroom? How are they going to be supported to access curriculum? What impact does that make in forming um, friendships and developing their social um, um, social being? And how are they going to find um, what it's like when they get a little bit older and their differences become more apparent? And what impact is that going to have in terms of their own mental health? Will they become um, anxious? Will they um, self-isolate? Will they remove themselves from, from situations because they can't communicate? And we really, really have to work very hard that we get in early and we support them to prevent that happening and putting more strain, by the way, on the HSE at a later stage if we need access to mental health services. Well, you're both terrific advocates on, on behalf of, of your children. You certainly are their, their missing voice and you, and you, uh, what you're doing today is certainly raising awareness because I was totally unaware of verbal oh. uh, dyspraxia and, uh, until I, I received uh, Julie's email. So so thank you both uh, for thank that. You. And is, is, is that part of the plan going forward? 
and the reason that Verbal Dyspraxia Ireland was, was set up outside yeah. of helping each other, but just to try to put a spotlight and a focus on this condition. Yes, well, May is actually World Apraxia Awareness Day, and I guess this is where the, the, the conversation is a bit tricky. In Ireland and England, we call the term verbal dyspraxia. In the States, uh, Canada and Australia, it's called apraxia speech. It's the same condition. And the month of May is Verbal Dyspraxia Awareness Month, and May the 14th is actually um, a verbal dyspraxia awareness day and so this is about starting a conversation about verbal dyspraxia to eliminate any of those um, confusion about the word, the terminology and to um, highlight that every child deserves a voice. So Patricia if we could ask you and your listeners on May the 14th to join us and to, to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves because we know that every child deserves a voice and so on May the 14th on your social media platforms please use the hashtag um, speak up, tag um Tag us on our Instagram account, Finding Charlie's Voice, um, on Facebook or on Twitter as well, um, Charlie's Voice on Twitter. And if there's anybody listening that wants to get involved or to offer support, these are real children with real families and we are all in it together. We only just want to have a conversation with our children. We want them to have access to education um, and to be treated fairly and to be supported in their right to find their voice. Well done. Well done to you both. And listen, thanks a million for joining us and uh, do stay in contact. But uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you both. Thank you. Um, Julie Sweeney there from Mallow, mum of little Connor and Evelyn Murphy, co-founder of that group, Verbal Dyspraxia Ireland, speaking about her son, uh, Charlie, joining us from uh, Dublin and a tech said those ladies could be telling my story my son who is now 18 has clear speech and is doing amazing thank God uh, we did have to do all the work at home 16 years ago but it was worth it almost no services 16 years ago and also there was no accommodation in secondary school and that's the same even today says a uh, texter thank you for that to 0862 103103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your uh, calls. We are looking for calls, by the way, for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, because she'll join us after half past 12 today. If you have a question for Annalise, get it in. But I want to give, and my apologies that I didn't do this at the top of the programme, because I saw this over yesterday, I think I saw it online, and I was saddened by it. One of Cork. GAA's well-known and best uh, supporters uh, Timmy Jonty O'Leary sadly uh, passed away and thank you to Joe in Charleville who was on and just wants us to remember uh, Jonty O'Leary and Joe said so sad to hear the news that Jonty has passed away Jonty a well-known Cork supporter over the years Joe in Charleville says we travelled with him and he will be missed by all and actually a guard of honour respecting social distance distancing etc is going to be held tomorrow near the Lock Church and the family have asked various people who had would have journeyed and travelled to the various matches with Jonty over the year to form this Guard of Honour and I've seen that actually that's uh, it's a lovely thing that that's happening happening and I'm I'm seeing that at a number of funerals people are abiding by the HSC and the rules and regulations and they're not going to shake hands with the bereaved and they're not calling to the people's houses and there's no removals no traditional removals like we have in in this country Um, and what's happening now is as a funeral cortege is passing village town and neighbourhood people are standing out social distancing is going on and it must and I only saw one uh, the other day for the the wonderful Dick Willis from Mallow who passed away and people in fishing would have known and known and very much respected Dick Willis Uh, and I saw at his funeral there was a guard of honour 
by fishermen who turned out all social distancing and, and I saw people turned out just to show their support to the Willis family as well and I think it's lovely the people are continuing we're continuing to do that we're continuing to show respect to families and we're managing to do it, to do it by social distancing so I imagine there will be a big number will turn out for, for John T but people will respect that and keep their uh, two metres apart so I don't want to, I just didn't want to let the first programme of the week pass without remembering and uh, honouring uh, the great Timmy uh, Jonty O'Leary. May he rest in peace. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Noreen, thank you, Noreen, for putting your name in your text, Noreen in West Cork. It's just wondering the property tax, the local property tax, is that still going ahead, the due date, the 21st of May? Remember, it was meant to be paid on the 21st of March, but we were at the start of the coronavirus virus pandemic so it got extended out until the 21st of May yeah and not much has changed really between the 21st of March and the 21st of May for people who've been temporarily laid off because of the uh, pandemic I haven't heard anything to the contrary knowing that they've changed the date or pushed it out again so leave it with us and we'll look into it and check it out and see if we can find out if they extended the date even further as of now it is meant to be due on my goodness that uh, couple of months has gone so quickly has it not because where are we at in May we're on the 11th of May so we're only 10 days away so okay, leave that with us and we'll check it out because some families are really struggling financially and may not have that money set aside so uh, leave that with us and we'll see if we can get uh, further confirmation on what's happening with the local property tax and uh, the payment this year uh, 1850-333-103 both uh, John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September Plan your future education See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Incorrect information or fake news about COVID-19 can be harmful to all of us. False stories about potential treatments or new restrictions only create divisions and distrust. If fake news is shared, it can risk reducing the effectiveness of efforts made so far. It can have real and damaging consequences on all the work being done to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Before you press share, think, is it from a trusted source? Can you fact check the information with the World Health Organization? Is it a joke? Are other sites reporting this? What are their Sources. Fake news is out there and it's everybody's job to check and question the information they receive before passing it on to someone else, no matter how well intended it is. Think before you share. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We have had a... Um, OK, before I get to that... Yeah, no, I'll do this first. OK, we've had a call in from somebody in the Charleville area uh, wondering, could anybody fix an old Ferguson Ridger? The listener says, I can pay for any work carried out. One half board fell off and I need it refitted. Or if anyone has a scrap Ridger, in case mine can't be fixed. I have three acres of organic corn to plant in the next week and the big contractors are not interested because my job is too small. Can anybody help? Um, Or maybe I could hire a suitable planter if anybody knows of one. Even an old style one might suit. Okay, Uh, that was in from Neil. Can anybody help out, Neil? I'm unsure what this Ferguson Ridger is, but it's to do with ploughing and getting the land ready so he can plant his organic corn. He's in the 
Charleville area, it, one of two things, somebody who can fix one, ideally someone can fix one or if somebody has a suitable one for hire. If you make contact with us please and we can then put you in contact with uh, Niall who has contacted us 1850 if you give John Paul or Sadie a call on that one if you can help us out. A couple of birthday requests. Happy birthday to Ada Doherty. That's from All in West Cork and we've been asked to wish Mary Corcoran a speedy recovery and that's coming in from All in the Avenue. I think there was more requests in when I come across them when I'm going down through text messages I get to them so bear with me on that. Now we spoke about verbal dyspraxia in the last hour. Rebecca says thank you for talking about verbal dyspraxia on the programme. My daughter also has this but without a full diagnosis yet as she also has a mild intellectual disability. She's not entitled to go to the speech unit that the other mums were talking about. I just wanted to flag something else. Her speech and language therapist had said she would benefit from a speech device but in North Cork it can take two years or longer for the finance to be sanctioned for the speech device. Whereas if we lived in the city, we could have the speech device within a few months. We will end up having to pay the €2,000 ourselves to buy this speech device so that she can communicate with her teachers and her classmates. We also have to go private for her speech and language as St Joseph's Foundation, who are a service provider, don't have enough staff to give her what she needs. We're lucky enough to have a fantastic primary school but they've never dealt with a child like her before and that's from Rebecca. That is so sad and yet another family who have to fight left and right just to get basic services and then when basic services are not available having to put their family finances um, having to dig deep into family finances in order to get what is just a basic need for a child that has a speech and a language difficulty. They need speech and language therapy. But when they turn and they think it's going to be there for it, it's it's not there. And those communication devices that you've spoken about, I've seen some of them over the years dealing with a deafblind child. Speech and language is something I feel quite passionately about. But And having your own voice, my God, it's just such an important uh, thing. And for so many of our children, they don't have. That's what's missing uh, is their voice. So anything that you can do to help your child with that communication, please do it. And those devices are fantastic, but it's shameful that you've got to try and come up with the cost of it yourself. And it's just by... It's purely down to what part of the county, not even what part of the country, but it's what part of the county you're actually living in. The best of luck, Rebecca, with your daughter going forward and hopefully she'll get the speech and language that she needs. 1850 Somebody's saying when we're talking about the coronavirus, if somebody is asymptomatic, will they always carry the virus even though it doesn't affect them? No. Uh, once the virus goes through somebody's system, it's the same as somebody being diagnosed with the coronavirus and having all of the symptoms, it eventually then, it's, it's usually about 14 days, isn't it, from the onset of, not even the onset of symptoms, you can be two days before you have any symptoms at all for the people who do have symptoms and then you become very unwell and usually within 14 days, if you're tested again, the virus has gone from your system. So it's the very same for people who don't have any symptoms at all. It's much harder though when you have people out in the community that don't have symptoms because they are the people obviously then that are going to spread it, spread it to other people 
that's why the whole thing of washing the hands, that's why the whole thing of the coughing and sneezing etiquette and all of us protecting ourselves. And that's one of the arguments that's put forward for the wearing of masks. Somebody who doesn't have any symptoms, by wearing a mask, you're not protecting yourself, you're protecting everybody else you come in contact with in case you do have coronavirus or indeed any other virus. But in this case, it's COVID-19 is the one we're most worried about. But if you have it with or without symptoms, by wearing a mask, you're stopping anything coming out of your mouth that can then land on a surface, be picked up by somebody else. Uh, and that's the reason for the wearing of masks. But no, it will eventually go out of the system. And, and it seems to be what we're hearing is two weeks. Hi, Patricia. Could we have a little bit of hope when we're talking about COVID-19? For example, there's no word about nasal sprays or a COVID-19 vaccine or potential for success in fighting COVID-19. There's lots in the pipeline. Can we have a bit of research on what is showing promise? Please. It seems to be all doom and gloom with our government. The big focus is on the negative. Can we not have a little bit of balance? Uh, We all know we have to observe many rules. It has to be done. We know it has to be done. But all the information always seems to be so bleak about the future. Surely there has to be light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I do my bit. I'm always trying to find some sort of good news when we're going through the papers in the morning and trying to keep people updated on COVID-19. But of course, we have to get them. We have to constantly get the message out to people as well. I mean, to me, the good news story of today, I mean, 70 percent of people who get COVID-19 will fully recover. Many of them never end up in hospital. They're able to recover at home. It seems to be just Panadol for the pain if, if you end up with some pains uh, from it. But, you know, the vast majority of people will recover. I'm keeping a close eye on what's happening with vaccines. I mean, the one closest to us is the one that's going on in the university in Oxford. They're already gone to human trials. That's a huge success story that they've gone to human trials. But they themselves are saying that it will be many, many months before they'll know if those human trials have actually succeeded. In America I think it's Johnson & Johnson already gone into production of what they believe is a vaccine that's that's going to help but vaccines are definitely something that's going to take so much more time because once they get to human trials they have to make sure it's going to work. They can't issue a, a vaccine then uh, believing it's going to work and then it doesn't work so that's a really one that's on the slow burner and then every now and again you'll hear of something that's helping when it comes to the treatment of COVID-19. But again, it's going to be a long time before they'll know for sure that, yes, this has worked. But you are right. There's so much going on. And all we can hope and pray for is that very soon somebody will come up with the the magic formula for either treating COVID-19 while we await the vaccine, because the vaccine is going to be realistic, a year to 18 months before we have a vaccine. That's certainly a vaccine that we can give out to everybody uh, all over the world. And that's what we're going to need before we can finally put this pandemic uh, behind us. Oh, I knew there was another, thank you for your text. I knew there was another request came in in the middle of all this. Mary O'Leary in McCroom is celebrating a birthday today. And Anita and Carrie sent in a text to say, we will celebrate when this is all over. There's going to be so many celebrations when we officially and completely out of lockdown that is uh, for sure um, Hi let's hope this is to do with businesses reopening this is from Jar. Jar says let's hope when all of the businesses op- open up again that they don't expect their customers to, spe- to pay sky high prices for their goods because when prices ri- rise 
Greed has a tendency to kick in and prices never come back down again. And then they will want to keep the high prices all of the time. Well, I'm assuming when most businesses reopen, they'll be just trying to get people in, trying to get people to spend money. So maybe there will be the opposite. Maybe there will be good bargains to be had. Definitely prices will rise in some areas. I was listening to an interview over the weekend with somebody who was talking about the cafes uh, reopening and restaurants reopening. And of course, we know social distancing is going to be have to put, be put in place. We're all going to have to know that when we go to a cafe or a restaurant, that there's enough space in between tables, that staff are protected and that we as customers are protected. But it does mean that for a lot of the restaurants and cafes, in some cases, they 50% of their trade may be gone just in order for them to open and to open uh, safely. And the interview I heard at the weekend was somebody who was talking about a cafe saying that you may have to pay over five euro for a cup of coffee. People who like to go and have their, their coffees may be expected to pay more because if they can only allow less people in, they can make less money and in order they've got to make some kind of a profit to pay for their staff. So there will be parts of industries and businesses when they reopen would have no choice but to put up their prices. But you're hoping, you're absolutely, you would hope that nobody's going to start price gorging and trying to make money on the back of a pandemic. All we can do is hope that that's not going to happen. Somebody says everything should be closed to protect people. This is a complete lockdown in this country. We also have a lot of people who are not abiding by the rules at the moment and that is only going to prolong our lockdown. But here's the listener that feels our lockdown, as bad as it is, isn't strict enough and that it should be even stricter and that everybody should be abiding uh, by the rules. Someone else on the lockdown says, Patricia, I think people are dropping their guard over the last few weeks, particularly regarding gatherings at funerals. More people are turning up outside of uh, graveyards. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. But it's the one I mentioned that I saw uh, last Friday. I thought people were being very respectful and people were keeping their distance and social distancing were going on. And you could even see people talking to each other from that two metre distance. So while, yes, I think people are turning up outside of graveyards in order just to show and and offer their respect to the family, I think they're keeping their distance. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Certainly what I witnessed, people's social distancing was was certainly being uh, conducted. Patricia, I do have a bit of good news for you and for people oil and coal prices have come down even though we know the carbon tax went up last uh, week but I suppose the reason for oil and coal coming down, I don't know about coal but certainly oil on the world market because because we, we have internationally people not looking for oil because industry has shut down so that means the price on the world market certainly has uh, dropped so it certainly is a good time if you need to get a fill of oil. On face masks that I mentioned earlier on Liam says Patricia face masks are being sold everywhere you can get them in service stations they're in chemists they're in health stores you'll get them in discount stores I've seen them available in news agents anywhere that's open at the moment the list goes on you are able to buy face masks so I can't understand how they're saying that there is a shortage of face masks when they're so readily available to the general public. The only shortage that I see, said Liam, is for children's face masks. If they will be required to wear them, particularly when schools reopen, there would have to be reusable ones because disposable ones would be way too expensive for parents, says uh, Liam. Now, we don't 
and, and you're right, actually, I only had a conversation with a family member who is really, really good at sewing. And I suggested to her that it's a little cottage industry that she could get involved in is to start making children's face masks. Uh, because you'll see even now, if you spot some children out and about, they have the adult masks. They're very big on their little faces. So there, there could be a market there for people that are handy with a needle and thread or have, have a, having sewing machines. As to whether children when schools reopen and whether they will reopen in September, that has been spoken about. Would we get to the stage where we'd be expecting children to wear face masks inside in school? Even though I don't know if you could have a child sitting in a classroom, children sitting in a classroom all day wearing face masks. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But if we get to the stage where face masks have to be worn when you're out in public or when you go shopping, etc., then obviously children are going to need them. So, yeah, there could be a market there for people to start producing masks for for children. But you're right. If it does become the norm and children do have to wear them, either going to or from school or out in the playground or whatever it is, then they would have to be reusable because it would just become way too expensive for uh, parents. This is from... Is there a name on this? There isn't, but I know there's a gentleman's name on it. It says, Patricia, what a wonderful day we had in Far Nevan last Saturday when neighbours and cousins came out in convoy all social distancing now, to wish Alan O'Donovan a very special birthday. It uplifted all of our spirits, young and not so young. Happy birthday, Alan. And I I don't know what the birthday was, but it obviously was a very significant birthday for Alan O'Donovan of Farnavane. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Happy birthday, Alan. And it sounds like you had a magical day on Sunday, Saturday. And no doubt when all the lockdown is lifted there'll be bigger plans uh, to celebrate Patricia I live in Kinsale this is on fishing I live in Kinsale and all the trailers all the trawlers are still fishing the the Irish boats the fish are going to uh, Galway so not well not all not all because a lot of the boats down in Castletown Bear are certainly moored up and, and are not heading out to sea and Patricia with all of the politicians it was a wonder that someone didn't see the need to isolate foreign travellers we should have started this back in January it surely would have saved many lives and many jobs and we're going to be in a bit of a, a pickle and a, well and a bit of a pickle and dilemma over this and it was the first thing I thought of when I heard Boris Johnson last night and it's actually they're picking up on it in the front page of the Irish Independent today that we here in Ireland we risk a serious coronavirus travel routes clash with Britain over quarantine now among the virus lockdown changes that were announced last night if you watch this the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson addressed the nation yesterday at about seven o'clock and one of the things that they have decided on is an obligation on all air travellers arriving into Britain to go into a 14 day quarantine but the exemption being given is people travelling by plane from the Republic of Ireland. People going from Ireland to England don't need to quarantine any other country they will be put into a forced 14 day quarantine which is what's happening in other countries but sources in Dublin now have stressed that the Irish health authorities are not extending the same courtesy to Irish travellers arriving from Britain to Ireland so that means that British people who decide to come into Ireland or Irish people returning from a visit to Britain will be obliged to give their details and self-isolate for 14 uh, days Uh, and one of the points that's been picked up on is the way that the UK count cases and deaths is very different from this jurisdiction 
I cannot believe, but it is still the case, that in England they're still not testing in the community and in Britain they're still only counting the deaths based on the deaths in hospital and the testing that's going on in hospital. And they have one of the worst situations of coronavirus in the world. So the Irish authorities have decided if you're going, if you go on, if you decide for whatever reason, to go on a plane and travel to England, you won't have to self-isolate. You can go about your business, do what you need to do. But when you come back on that plane, back into Ireland, on the couple of flights that are coming in and out of Cork every week to London Heathrow and there's a a Ryanair one to uh, Stansted, you will be expected when you come back to give all of your details and then you will be asked to uh, self-isolate for 14 days and it's the same coming in to Dublin. So it's it, uh, we're going to follow this one closely as to how this pans out because when I heard Boris speak it was the first thing I thought about well what about we haven't reciprocated that we're not giving the same exemption to people coming over from uh, England so it certainly is one to watch. Tim in Bandon wants to talk about face masks he reckons face masks will spread the virus faster he said people wearing them are constantly touching their mouths and straightening their masks he said I've seen it over and over in the last few weeks. A woman in a shop on yesterday said Tim had a mask and gloves on she never left the mask alone and then was picking up food from the shelves another lady swapped a deep trolley for a shallow one from a guy who just finished his shopping she pulled down her mask changed the trolleys then fixed her mask all without disinfecting the handle of the trolley. There's still a lot of stupidity out there, says Tim, when it comes to the wearing of the masks. And we still haven't got a definitive on if we're going to be asked to wear masks or not. we're expecting something to be announced before next uh, Monday. So uh, watch this space. Claire says, hi Patricia, I'm just wondering, is anybody still waiting on the Aer Lingus vouchers? I accepted a voucher on the 26th of March for flights that were due to go on the 17th of April and I'm still waiting. I'm beginning to think that they're hoping we'll forget about them. Thanks Claire. Uh, no, and I know I was looking over the weekend on this and if you go onto the Aer Lingus Twitter you'll see lots of people onto Aer Lingus saying, where are my vouchers? Where are my vouchers? Where are my, where are my vouchers? There's still working through a long long list of people both for vouchers and both for people that are looking for refunds but so don't uh, panic once you've agreed to the voucher you will get it I mean the thing is Claire even if you get a voucher now there's not a lot you can do with it at the moment it's very hard to judge when we will be able to travel uh, again so you're not on your own you're certainly not on your own in waiting for a voucher Hi Patricia your speaker Patrick Murphy who joined us from West Cork talking about fishing does he not know about the flag system all boats are supposed to comply with it, it, it always was the ruling that if any virus was on board it had to be declared before that boat could approach the quay or have all these rules gone by the wayside surely the customs must know what the ruling is it is not possible for you to contact somebody is it not possible for you to contact somebody in a customs office to clarify this keep up the good work a uh, great programme but I think the problem they do have to declare and I did talk to Patrick about that they do have to declare make sure that everybody's fit and healthy on the boat but the problem that we have with the coronavirus and particularly the boat that docked in Castletown Bear it was after they left Castletown Bear the skipper became unwell he then notified Spain he realised he had the symptoms of COVID-19 he was made to dock in Spain they got on the boat straight away. The health officials tested everyone. And then it turned out that eight out of the 15 had COVID-19. But when they'd come into Castletown Bear, they didn't know that they had the coronavirus. And that's my worry with the coronavirus. You cannot have the symptoms and then suddenly two days later have the symptoms are, as we know, you can have 
COVID-19 and not have the symptoms at all. So it wasn't, I don't think it was a case that the Spanish were deliberately trying to hide the fact. They're claiming they didn't know. Yes, somebody had been sick leaving Spain, but they didn't think it was COVID-19. It was only when the skipper became unwell having left Castletown there, that they got suspicious it was COVID-19. Thank you for your text. Dan in Mallow says, Hi Patricia, fish is not cheap here. Try buying enough hake or cod for a family of five. You're talking about 17 to 20 euro. That's too much for one dinner. Yes, it is fantastic food and we're surrounded by it. But I ask, how can the Spanish afford to send a trawler and a lorry to Ireland and sell the fish cheaper in Spain. But if it's caught in West Cork, by the time it gets to Cork City, it's much more expensive than it is in Spain. In fairness, something is badly wrong with this. Can anyone explain that to me? And that's from Dan in uh, Mallow. If a fisherman wants to explain why fish is more expensive here than it is on mainland Spain. And Finbar in Skull says they look after, this is the fisher, fisher trawlers. They look after the Spanish better than the Irish. No fishery officials are nothing and too bored every boat the minute they come in. This is an Irish boat. It is a laugh. Fair play to the Kerry men's Fimber in Skull. I'm assuming he's talking about the Kerry um, fishermen and community that were protesting. 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your course. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. John Manway Family Resource Centre. They have experienced volunteers able to speak with anyone experiencing anxiety or any difficulty at this time. Can you contact them at 023 9956 818? And Grow Mental Health Recovery. They've developed a six week course entitled Creating Hope and Staying Positive in COVID 19. The programme contains tips and advice on how to deal with the pandemic over the next few weeks. You can log on to their website www.grow.ie or phone their information line 1850-474-474. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 10 p.m. The agri-food sector and the food supply chain to the supermarket shelf are all open and fit for purpose within the context of taking the appropriate uh, measures where possible to prevent the spread of the virus. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold's Post Calver Gold, a trusted partner for your peace of mind across the breeding season. Only on C103 been asked to wish Sister Rosari Darby in Passage West a very happy birthday today. Sister Rosari is 88 years young. Happy birthday to you Sister Rosari. You're described as a great woman in the area and so kind. And that comes in from Frick and all of the Murphy family. Thank you for that. Happy birthday Sister Rosari. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. Patricia, the only way to enable us to return to full normality in this country is to clear the island of coronavirus until a vaccine can be found. Business sector and industry could then start to rebuild the economy. However, this will never be achieved until the whole Ireland, a whole island of Ireland is cocooned for a few weeks 
get rid of the virus and then you would allow nobody on or off the island. But surely it would be well worth it to stop the concerns of a second wave. Can never see that happening. Wonderful idea. Absolutely wonderful idea. But we've got Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, Uh, And then we need to bring items in. We need to get cargo in and off the island. We need to export. We need to import. But it would be a lovely idea, wouldn't it, if we all just cocooned, looked after ourselves, let the rest of the world get on with the vaccine and then we stay cocooned until a vaccine became available. Hi, Patricia. How come some Airbnbs and glamping parks are operating? That's why people are coming into the country. I know two places were full on the bank holiday weekend and we're doing our best to stay in uh, doors. I'm surprised to hear you say that glamping parks were full. Could they have been with Irish tourists though? Because I know we're talking about planes coming into the country. But when I was looking at figures on the numbers of people, the planes that are arriving there's not a lot of people on the planes. Most of those planes are full. The belly of the plane is full of, of cargo. For example, I heard of a plane that went to the States last week and it had three people on board. Uh, was, all the rest was just uh, cargo. So I, I don't think there's a big influx, even though you will see that there are flights coming in out of the country. This doesn't necessarily mean that those flights are full. So maybe it's people staycationing because staycationing is certainly the way we're going to be going this year. But with the current restrictions, nobody should be staycationing. Nobody should be moving beyond our five. Remember, we're still under that five kilometre rule and we should only be making the journey if it is absolutely necessary. And just a quick few texts. Martina in Newmarket. Hi, Patricia. Hope you are well. I am. Thank you very much. Just wondering, anybody else having a problem with their phone network? I'm with AIR. And I can only ring the emergency number. It happened again last week. Uh, Great show. Uh, Kind regards, Martina from Newmarket. I haven't. I'll get John Paul is great to keep up to speed with all of those texts coming in. I certainly didn't get any other calls in. Anybody else having a problem with air and only being able to ring emergency numbers? I'm with air, but my problem straight away is I do most, I, I spend most of my time if I have to make a call on my mobile. I don't use the landline that much. So if it went to a stage where there was a few days where I could only ring an emergency call on the landline, I wouldn't know about it. And it is a landline you're talking about, is it? Or is it is it your mobile you're talking about? I'm unsure. Listen, I'll get John Paul to check it and we'll see if anybody else is having a problem with the air network and only been able to ring emergency numbers. I'm just thinking it's probably a mobile uh, mobile phone that um, Martina's talking about. We'll get that checked. And John from Butterfield said, Hi Patricia, on the subject of travel, my passport runs out next month. Is the God, you won't be going anywhere very fast, John, will you? Anyway, is the passport office still open for passport renewal? I'll have to get that checked. It can be done online. It certainly can be done online. That's the way a lot of people have been renewing their uh, passports. Uh, is the passport office open? I would hazard a guess and say no, but leave it with us and we'll check it for you. OK, I need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll speak with Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist. If you have a question for Annalise, get it into us, please. 1850 Sadie and John Paul taking the calls. Text WhatsApp a question for Annalise 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Get weekly news, event updates, and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello to Dunmanway and every area in between. We've got it covered. To listen, go to C103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports. Only on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Before we go to Annalise, just for John in uh, Butterfield, while the outbreak was on, I did a quick search. Uh, who was the, his passport is due for, for renewal and he was wondering what about the passport office? The passport office is closed on the 30th of March and they're closed until further notice. The passport services phone line is also closed during the period. Anyone who applied for a passport or had applied to renew their passport, the application will be processed once normal services resume. The post offices are not accepted Passport Express applications and you can't attend the passport office in person. If you still want to apply for a new passport, even though I don't know where you'd be going, but you might want your passport, you can use the passport online service. So you can go to Passport Online and you can renew your passport there. And that's for John in Butterfield. Annalise Dressel of the Health Up Times Square in Balancolic joining us. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are, you're very welcome to the programme. Um, and how are you doing? Are you still open? Are you open morning we're times? We're still open yeah. and we're hoping to go back to full-time hours pretty soon. Great. So I'm, I'm hearing that some small businesses around me are starting to open. So the lovely cafe that's next to me here in Balancholic, Good for the Soul, it's good to give them a shout-out because yeah. they're great and very healthy. So they'll be starting tomorrow back and next um, just doing takeaways and then next week hopefully back to some kind of food service. So it's lovely to see the country get back to itself. A little bit of normality, a little bit of normality. So at the moment you're just your mornings, is it? At the moment we are closing at 2pm but hopefully by the end of the week um, we'll be be, um, opening full-time hours again. Okay. And by the way, for anybody who is in and around Balancolic, you've got some BioCare products. Absolutely. I've got some lovely products that I've I'd forgotten um, they had given me for a giveaway to my customers. So I have some I've a lovely joint support product from BioCare, which is a really, really nice quality product. And I've got um, six 
glucosamine sulfate products from Patrick Holford to give away. So the first seven people that come in and they tell me that they're all bockety, they'll all get one of the products. <laughs> OK, OK. All right, let's get straight into uh, questions. Um, what This is from Anne. What is the best time to stop drinking tea or indeed water before going to bed? Because I'm fine, I'm getting up to go to the toilet two, sometimes three times during the night. Don't have any kind of a kidney infection or any urinary tract infection, but just the need to go to the loo. Should I be limiting the liquids Anne wants to know and from what time? Yeah, well, I suppose you'll have to play around with it. Probably from six o'clock onwards, everybody's bladder is very different. And as we get older, our bladders and our ability to hold on to large quantities in our bladder will become less. I know that some people will take a cup of coffee up to bed with them at night and they won't have to get up to go to the loo, nor will it keep them awake. And then some people need to stop drinking caffeine at three o'clock in the afternoon. So caffeine would, you know, increase the number of times that you will have to go to the toilet. So if you do want to have a cup of tea later in the evening, maybe go for a non-caffeinated option and then make sure you go to the loo before you go to bed and you might make it through the whole night. But caffeine definitely increases the frequency of times you'll need to visit the loo. So cutting that out from six o'clock onwards, you'll just have to experiment in terms of volume yourself. Okay. Hi. Um, would Annalise, what could she suggest, please, for sleep uh, due to menopause? I haven't slept for over a week. Oh, my God. To have interrupted yeah, sleep is thing. dreadful. Yeah, it's desperate and waking up with the night sweats as well is horrible. And then, of course, you're waking up and you're exhausted. So that makes the anxiety symptoms of menopause worse and the mood worse and everything. So getting a good night's sleep is just so important, I think, to everything in life. Now, there's a couple of things that you could try immediately for the sleep. Um, the Dr. Vogel brand do a Dormesan, D-O-R-M-E-S-A-N product um, for sleep. That is a blend of valerian and hops. And that helps kind of calm, I suppose, the whole nervous system down at the night time to give you a kind of a calm and good sleep. It doesn't make you groggy or sleepy. So you could try that immediately. But the key really here is to manage the menopause symptoms. And I think that taking a plant-based hormone is often the best way to rebalance the body. It's a natural version of HRT, basically. Now, this wouldn't be suitable for anyone who has a family history of cervical or breast cancer, but is generally safe for everybody else to take. And different health shops will have different ones. Dr. Vogel do one called uh, Menopause Support. Uh, I have an excellent one in here by a company called Bionutri. Um, Dr. Marilyn Glenville has her own product that has those plant estrogens in there along with a few other things. So try those and you need to do it for at least four to six weeks and you should see sleep improve, sweats improve, mood improve. It should help improve across the board. It will pass. It will pass, but it's 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 difficult. And I think I think people, generally speaking, are sleeping. Sleep patterns seem to be all over the place. I think so, Patricia. I think it's down to first and foremostly lack of routine and I think a lot of anxiety as yeah. well about what's happening at the moment. So that Dr. Vogel remedy will work very well, but one of my absolute favourites is the Dr. Delish Clare Relax Blend. And that can be taken as well throughout the day and it is brilliant for when you're going through a stressful time. Um, another product that's nice too, if you're finding that your anxiety is rising throughout the day, um, is the L-theanine. It's uh, capital L and then it's spelled T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E and Viridian do a nice product with lemon balm so if you can't get your hands on the Dr. Delish Clare one 
the Relax Blend, that L-theanine, the Viridian one, is a lovely one because it kicks fairly quickly. So if you feel your anxiety rising, you can take it and it should calm you down within the space of 15 minutes. Okay, I need to take calcium for osteoporosis, says a listener. I hate the, is it Kalichi, Kalichi ones? Could I take calcium and magnesium tablets, the Terra Nova instead? Yes. That's a lovely one and a lot of reason people don't like the normal calcium that they get in the pharmacies is that it's calcium carbonate which is effectively chalk. So people will find that it makes them nauseous, it's very hard to absorb, some people find that it upsets their stomachs. So the um, calcium citrate or calcium biglycinate are um, some of the best forms to take. They tend not to upset the stomach and they're much better absorbed. So the Terra Nova one is a lovely brand to take. Um, there are other complete bone complexes that you can get. But what you're looking for is something that has calcium citrate or calcium biglycinate. And those are the ones that won't upset your stomachs. Catherine says, I've got an itchy, dry scalp and sometimes it almost feels like something's crawling in my hair. By the way, I've checked. It isn't. It isn't hair yeah. lice or anything like that. that. My hair is perfectly clean, but the itch at times can be unreal. How can you stop an itchy scalp? Yeah, I suppose the. I mean, she doesn't say whether it's dry or flaky or anything. Just yeah, yeah like, no, itchy, yeah. dry scalp. It's dry. It's dry, so it is dry. The first thing I always think of, Patricia, when I hear of dry scalp is um, not is a kind of a reaction allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate, which you find in most shampoos, even the shampoos that say that they're very gentle, even the baby shampoo, the Johnson's baby shampoo. It's a foaming agent and a lot of people actually do react to it. It's also what I recommend cutting out in the toothpaste as um, when people suffer from mouth ulcers, because that's another sign of being allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate. So go to this, the health shop and get a natural shampoo that doesn't have it in there. One of the loveliest ones that I've found is the Salcura um, Omega Rich Shampoo. The omegas are lovely for a very dry scalp and there's no chemicals or sodium lauryl sulfate in there. And if that doesn't do the job, it could be maybe a little bit of fungal dandruff, in which case using a product like Citricidal, which is grapefruit seed extract, put in with your shampoo will get rid of the fungus on your scalp that could be causing the itch. Okay, and Sinead has what she describes as a lot of phlegm. She can't, she just doesn't seem to be able to. She's taken a, a lot, taken different stuff, is what she said for it. Uh, but it's still coming back and she just can't seem to shake it. So I don't know what that could be from now, Patricia, whether it's a lingering cold, whether she's producing a lot of phlegm because there's a huge amount of birch pollen at the moment. So people who don't even often suffer from hay fever might be feeling a bit extra phlegmy at the moment. Um, or if it is um, a, a year-long problem that she suffers from all the time. So there are herbs that can help dry up mucus, things like uh, bayberry, ivy, thyme, plantago. These are always really good to get rid of mucus production, uh, albeit whether it's from a cold or whether it's from an allergy. It's, it's good for overproduction, but it's not going to take care of the problem. It'll just help you know manage the symptoms. So here, I suppose, it's about trying to figure out why are you producing a lot of mucus and try and avoid the allergen or avoid the food if it's a food-based intolerance that's causing the overproduction. Okay, and finally, I don't know if you can offer advice here. Jill says, my partner suffers from Crohn's disease. Uh, He's still working. He has to drive 40 minutes to work at the moment. All public toilets are closed. He's actually considering quitting his job over the embarrassment of it all. I'm wondering, Jill is wondering, is anybody else in the same situation are they and how are they uh, coping? But uh, she's also wondering, could somebody come up with some kind of a special pass that you get into public bathrooms uh, with the circumstances? That's very difficult, isn't it, for people with Crohn's? When you need to go, you need to go. 
it's it's awful. It's and it's very stressful for actually anybody who who can't make it um, into toilets. You know, people with IBS as well, um, and all the time, Patricia. Even people, I think it does affect people's ability to go out and about a normal daily life when they're not sure if they can make it to bathroom. So I I don't really have any magic answer here, but there are a couple of things that might help with him with the frequency. The first thing is I would definitely try the Alflorex probiotic that's um, been developed here in Cork. That can help a lot with people who suffer from diarrhea. It's spelled A-L-F-L-O-R-E-X, and you'll get it not just in health shops, but in pharmacies. And the second thing that can work very well is something called psyllium husk. It's a type of fibre that can help with either constipation or diarrhoea because it'll help soften out a hard stool, but it'll bring form to a very loose stool. And it might just re- reduce the, the urgency and the frequency to need to go to the toilet. So um, you'll buy psyllium husk in any health shop. It, you'll either get it as just plain psyllium husk or you can get it in a product called Lepicol, L-E-P-I-C-O-L, which you might also find in a pharmacy. Okay, and, 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 and it is tough and one that you don't think about. There are no public toilets um, uh, and hotels and cafes that people normally would pop into. And okay. even garages or shops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, listen, have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks a million for joining us. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolleg. And just very quickly on fish, when we talk about fish earlier on, uh, Michael says, Patricia, why isn't there an aggressive marketing plan for fresh Irish fish? Similar to what is been done very successfully for uh, for fresh Irish beef internationally. No need to buy Omega tablets if we were all eating more fish. You did a good interview with Patrick Murphy earlier thanking you and that's from Michael. Thank you Michael uh, for that. Okay, uh, that's where we leave you for today. My thanks once again to John Paul and to Sadie for taking uh, the calls uh, today and thank you to everybody who took time out to message us throughout the morning. We had another busy programme. Don't forget you can always, when we're not on air, you can email Email Patricia at c103.ie. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Look after yourself and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. And then... Hello, this is Declan Ernie here. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Daniel O'Donnell here and you're listening to Country and Irish with Eric Griffin on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8. Right here on C103. Every couple has a story of how they met. My mum met my dad at school, uh, in detention. My best friend met his wife at a club through a friend of a friend. And my boss met her fiancé after they got chatting online. Find someone to share your story with at c103dating.ie. 24% of Irish people have tried online dating and one in five relationships begin there. At c103dating.ie, we have genuine nice people that would like to meet you. Begin your story today by registering for free at c103dating.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.